everyone, and welcome to this episode of Sleep and Relax ASMR. This episode, I figured we could do something a bit different and explore a genre that has been requested and I think would be popular with many of you, which is true crime. I've had several listeners request um, that I dive into various cases. Now I must warn you, of course, cases discussed in this episode um, and future episodes of the series can be graphic and disturbing for some. So if the idea of listening to, well, criminal activity take place and uh, certain morbid details about disappearances and deaths might give you the opposite effect of helping you sleep, um, if you think that's going to be the case, this may not be the episode or genre for you, which is fine. There's plenty of other content that you can enjoy, and that's why there is so much variety. I think I had not explored true crime in the past because of my own bias. I personally don't like the idea of listening to true crime and murders and mysteries right before bed. So I think I just assumed it would not stick with you guys, but I've really changed my stance on this, if only because my job is not to make content that I personally would enjoy necessarily, but rather to serve you and cater to as large of an audience as possible. So with all the requests gotten, and um, in general the popularity of true crime, I thought it would be the appropriate time to um, give this a try. So with that being said, I would like to kick off the first true crime episode on Sleep and Relax ASMR by exploring Chris Watts and the Watts family murder. This is a case that I remember being very invested in from the beginning, just because of how insane the details of the story are. Something that looked so... a family that looked like everything was kind of in order, and uh, to see how horrific of a series of events that take place within a very short amount of time, it's... it's um. It's uh, horrifying and captivating at the same time. So, with that in mind, let's begin. The summer of 2018 in Frederick, Colorado, should have been a very happy one and normal one for the Watts family. Chris Watts, who at the time was 33, along with his wife, Shanann, 34, just found out that they were expecting their third child, joining four-year-old Bella and three-year-old Celeste. Chris Watts worked as an operator at Anadarko Petroleum, while Shanann worked for nutrition supplement company Level. Shanann was big into posting about her work and their lives on Facebook, and to most it seemed they had a very normal, happy, nice in suburban uh, Colorado. Now, let's take a look at some key events from the beginning, and we'll work our way to eventually reaching the details of this gruesome story. And we begin in 2010. The couple meet when Chris sends Shanann a Facebook friend request. Shanann, originally from New Jersey, at the time is living in North Carolina, where she and Chris meet through Facebook. According to Shanann, 
I got a friend request from Chris on Facebook. I was like, what the heck? I'm never going to meet him. Except one thing led to another. And eight years later, we have two kids. We live in Colorado. And he's the best thing that's ever happened to me. On November 3rd, 2012, Shanann and Chris marry. So what started off in 2010 as a um, simple Facebook friend request by Chris ends up in marriage uh, a relatively short amount of time afterwards. Um, from what is explained on the Netflix documentary, um, one of the sources I used before recording this episode, it seems like Chris was very aggressive in terms of his pursuit of Shanann. And he would say things like, from what I recall, that's the girl I'm going to marry, or you know, something to that effect. So it seems like he was very uh, smitten with her. He was very, you know, at least according to him and, you know, what others say about him. It seems like he was very love at first sight kind of experience with Shanann. December 17th, 2013, their first child, Bella, is born. And July 17th, 2015, their second daughter, Celeste, is born. They nickname her Cece. And uh, she is a summer baby, also born in Colorado. So, June of 2015, the Watts files, the Watts file, I should say, for bankruptcy. So, approximately a combined income of $90,000 in 2014. They had credit card debt, student loan, medical bills, and a couple files for bankruptcy in June 2015, stating that their $3,000 mortgage and $600 car payments took up most of their $4,900 in monthly expenses. Additionally, their homeowners association sued them for unpaid HOA fees. Financial woes are, of course, um, a major factor when it comes to marital happiness and divorce rates. I believe financial burdens or financial infidelity are one of the top three cited reasons for divorce in the USA. And of course, it makes sense. So by this point, perhaps Chris and Shanann are having very serious arguments with each other. And um, this bankruptcy is causing a major strain on the relationship. May 5th, 2018. Shanann posts a sweet Facebook live video. In a 31-minute Facebook live video, Shanann muses about family life, saying, I love waking up now on Saturdays and being able to enjoy my family. I believe that everything in life happens for a reason, and I also believe people are placed in our life for a reason. In the background, Chris can be seen playing with her girls in the video. June 11th, 2018, Shanann surprises Chris with the news they're expecting their third child. Um, this video was made available, I think, to local media at some point. I think she probably originally posted it on her Facebook. And um, Shanann is wearing a shirt that says, Oops, we did it again, and surprises Chris with the news of, you know, their third pregnancy, her third pregnancy. He reacts by just saying that's awesome. 
So again, this video you can actually find uh, quite easily. And um, looking at this point of the case, in my opinion, looking at this point of the story, it's kind of telling once you know the details and I'll divulge in just a bit. Chris has this expression on his face that rather than being one of joy, looks like a nervous sense of concern. From what I understand at this point, it is possible that Chris had contemplated ending the relationship and the marriage with Shanann. At the very least, it's possible he was much more invested in pursuing extramarital affairs, which we will get to very shortly. And so the news of a child, I think, caught him off guard, and he was displeased with us. And you can see the video. Um, I believe Derek Van Shake who has a great set of YouTube videos on Chris Watts and body language uh, eventually goes into this. June of 2018, Chris starts talking to Nicole Kessinger. Nicole Kessinger works with Chris in the same company in the environmental department, and she would see operators, including Chris, on the way to lunch in and out of the washroom Chris came by her office and struck up a conversation one day. They have their first meeting outside of the office later that same month. This becomes a crucial detail as the rest of the story unfolds. One month after striking up a conversation with Nicole Kessinger in July of 2018, Chris starts a physical relationship with her. According to the Denver Post, um, Chris sees Kessinger about four or five times a week, and they start a physical relationship in early July. Now, he tells her that he is in the process of getting divorced. Later that month, while Shanann and the girls are out of town in North Carolina visiting um, Shanann's family, I believe, he tells Kessinger that the divorce is final. From that same Denver Post article, quote, When Nicole Kessinger started dating Chris Watts in July, he appeared to be a soft-spoken man and a thoughtful father who was at the end of divorce proceedings. It wasn't until August, after the set of events that I will describe later, does she realize that her then, that his, excuse me, then very pregnant wife um, and him never uh, filed anything related to divorce. Insider reports that Kessinger goes to Chris, Chris's home for the first time on July the 4th, and they have their first phone call on record on July 7th. They also go on a date to Shelby American Collection Car Museum on July 14th, and spend the night at Great Sand Dunes National Park on July 28th, all while his family is away in North Carolina. On July 30th, he gives her a love note before joining his family on vacation. July 31st, Chris flies to North Carolina to join his family. Despite it being a family vacation, texts that Shanann forward to a friend show signs of trouble between the couple. 
Further messages also show that there was tension between her and Chris's parents. At the time, there's also footage of Chris going to North Carolina and messages between Shanann and what I believe was a family member or very close friend um, reveals a lack of intimacy and emotion from Chris towards Shanann. Lack of sex, lack of emotional availability from what I understand kind of made it that um, she'd really begun to question uh, Chris's standing in their relationship and um, I believe at that point she also starts to consider the possibility of him having an affair. So I think she was hoping that by him going to North Carolina, it would perhaps be a reset for their relationship. But in reality, it seemed to have done more harm than good for them. August 4th, 2018, Kessinger shops for wedding dresses online. Just weeks after they started talking, Kessinger's cell phone data shows she looked at wedding dresses online for two hours. So Chris is lying to his mistress, lying to his wife, and for me it's strange to consider this. He, from all records, um, and from what I've read, never really attempts to actually divorce his wife, and yet he clearly is saying and giving his mistress the idea that their relationship is ready to be taken to the next step, let's say. Meanwhile, he's in North Carolina, supposedly there for his wife and daughters to try and mend the relationships. Um, there's messages that he sent to Shanann right before he arrived in North Carolina that um, revealed that he was certainly saying very kind and affectionate and thoughtful things to his wife, you know. Um, the I love you, the heart emojis. So just at this time, you know, he's lying, you know, to both his wife, his family, his children, his mistress. Um, so. August 9th, 2018, Shannon leaves on business to Arizona. After confiding to friends about her troubles with Chris, she texts a friend that she and Chris had their best talk yet before she leaves on a trip. She even drafts a handwritten letter to him. Two days later, August 11th, Chris hires a babysitter and goes out with Kessinger. So, while Shannon is away, Chris gets a babysitter saying that he's going to a baseball game with co-workers, but goes to a bar with Kessinger. Shanann figures this out um, because she has access to bank statements and sees that he goes out, in fact, to a bar and orders, I think it was, $60 worth of food and drinks. So this is where we start getting to the point where this story kind of really takes a turn for the worst. And it begins on August 13th, 2018, at around 2 a.m., when Shanann returns from her business trip. At around 2 a.m., friend Nicole Atkinson gives Shanann a ride to her home on the 2800 block of Saratoga Trail, where the Watts family lives, after she returns from her business trip. 
August 13th, 2018. Chris Kilshanan and their daughters. Chris wakes Shanann as he's getting ready to go to work and wants to talk about their marriage and future according to his um, later confession. Despite Shanann carrying their unborn son, who they had already named Nico, he tells her about um, his affair and that their marriage won't last. Shanann replied that Chris won't see his kids again and he strangles her to death. Bella, who was four, comes in and asks what's wrong with her mother. And Chris proceeds to wrap Shanann in a blanket and carries her to his truck. He puts the two kids in the back seat and drives to the work site, where he then proceeds to smother Celeste in the back seat and puts her body in an oil tank and does the same with Bella in another tank. Chris also buries his wife's body in the ground nearby as he later confessed from prison. Now, Chris originally made it seem as if Shanann didn't put up a fight. In other words, he kind of claimed that it seemed like she wanted to let it happen. But the parents of Shanann really um, doubted that at the time. They believed that Chris had premeditated this, at least to the degree that he probably strangled her while she was sleeping, you know, perhaps after a fight. Um, the notion that she didn't put up any fight may very well be true, but only insofar as she was basically, quote-unquote, uh, sucker-punched, and at that point was overpowered by Chris. So, again, Shannon returns from her business trip 2 a.m. Right before she leaves, she believes that her and Chris are actually on relatively good terms. And um, she finds out about the likely affair that he's having and comes back. And within a very short amount of time, Shannon again is killed by Chris and their unborn child along with their two daughters are basically collateral of his um, horrifically uh, mismanaged ability to cope with either what she had told him about not seeing his children or the set of events. Now on August 13th 2018 at around 5 in the morning, Chris claims he left for work. He would later tell a uh, Denver ABC affiliate, I left for work early that morning, like 5.15 to 5.30, admitting that he and Shanann had, quote, an emotional conversation. On that same day at around 1.40, Atkinson, the friend who dropped off Shanann from their trip at 2 a.m., she grows concerned and contacts local police. That same day, um, like I mentioned, she calls police. She claims, Atkinson does, that I called her and texted her several times. Uh, I knew she had a doctor's appointment that morning because she's pregnant, and she didn't show up for it, and I was even more concerned. 
So Shannon is reporting missing at around 1.40 p.m. Atkinson calls the police who do a uh, welfare check. Shanann's phone, keys, and purse are found at the house. According to the news stations, husband Chris says, quote, she had, she said she was going to a friend's house with the kids, and that's the last thing I heard, and that was it. It was very vague, end quote. So, the body cam from the police on scene can be found online, and it's clear from the beginning um, that there's foul play here. And a couple of details really stick out. Number one, when Chris shows up to the home, he kind of jogs up to the police officers, gives this innocent smile, and then heads into the home from the garage. A couple of minutes go by, and then he finally opens the door for cops to come in and inspect. What should have been a... 10 to 20 second delay at the maximum between entering the home through the garage and opening the front door took minutes, which I'm sure gave police a hint that something was strange. Number two, Chris really doesn't look very concerned. The friend of Shanann's that originally called for the wellness check is pacing, asking questions, trying to brainstorm what could be the reason why Shanann didn't go to a medical appointment. What happened? Chris, meanwhile, is actually looking down on his phone, texting, I believe, Nicole Kessinger, and doesn't seem interested. For someone whose family has, quote, gone missing, he doesn't seem to be too concerned, which is, of course, red flag number two. Number three, the cop whose body cam we can see you know, from his perspective, he radios into the police station and Chris, when he hears the radio go off, sort of looks back in panic. I think the cop does this on, pers- on purpose because if you're innocent, you're not being jumpy about cops calling for backup or research or whatever the case may be. So at that time, it looked like he was almost concerned that the police officer was going to ask for a backup in order to arrest Chris, and he looks incredibly nervous about it. This by itself is not necessarily something that would give the impression that someone is for sure guilty or a murderer, but another small detail in a series of details that really paints a picture beyond just coincidence. And number four, which is footage from a neighbor's outdoor camera, shows Chris backing his truck into his garage at a very early time, which Chris fails to mention to police, and he starts to sweat profusely and basically says nothing about it. So, from the beginning, very strange, and I highly recommend Derek Van Shake's video, I think he has two or three at this point, about the body language during this initial investigation, and there you'll get to see the body cam plus Derek's commentary which I think is excellent regarding his body language during this time we jump forward two days August 14th where Chris pleads for his family's return on local news so Chris speaks to local media and pleads for his family's return he says quote 
Shanann, Bella, Celeste, if you're out there, just come back. Like, if somebody has her, just please bring her back. I need to see everybody. I need to see everybody. Again, this house is not complete without anybody here. Please bring them back. Again, if you look at this video, it is very strange. Your wife, your children are missing, but he's just hanging out in his t-shirt in front of his house, smiling when he finishes his sentences at, the, at everything. Most people, I would think, are so concerned and so nervous about what could possibly be happening and what happened to their family that they would be devastated and you'd see the stress on them, but not with Chris. A couple of days later, on August 15th, Chris goes in to the police station, takes a polygraph test, and fails a polygraph test, and eventually admits to killing his wife. And he would then falsely blame her for the smothering of their daughters, which, of course, we know is another lie. The FBI joins the search for the missing mother and daughters. Chris fails a polygraph test and confesses to his father, Ronnie, and then officials that he killed Shanann, but falsely claims that the reason for his murder was because she had smothered their daughters. Now, again, you can actually watch the investigators at this point, and it's very interesting. Chris is told he fails, and then he continues to deny it. He says he's being honest, and... They allow his father to come in while the cops or interrogators leave the room. And you see for the first time Chris show actual emotion as he breaks down and cries and tells his father what happened. At least some version of the truth. Interrogators come back and they start to get uh, the information from Chris about what really happened and where the bodies are. The very next day, Shanann, Bella, Celeste, and Nico, obviously being still in the uh, womb of um, Shanann, their bodies are found. The three murdered bodies um, are recovered at Chris's work site. The same day, Chris appears in Weld County Court for a bond hearing, and he is denied. Also on the same day, Kessinger speaks to police, saying, quote, I legitimately think his cheese was sliding off his cracker long before he met me. End quote. On August 21st, 2018, Chris is charged with first-degree murder. A week after he pled uh, for their safe return, Chris is charged with three counts of first-degree murder, plus two additional first-degree charges for victims being 12 or younger. Additionally, he faces another count for the unlawful termination of a pregnancy, plus three counts of tampering with a body, a total of nine charges. On September 1st, a funeral is held for Shanann and daughters in North Carolina. Shanann, Bella, and Celeste are remembered at their funeral at the Sacred Heart Catholic Church in Pinehurst, North Carolina. Chris, of course, is never mentioned during the 90-minute ceremony. November 6, 2018, Chris pleads guilty to all nine counts. 
Chris appears in court, pleading guilty to all nine criminal counts. Shanann's family requests the death penalty not be sought. On the 19th of November, Chris is sentenced to life imprisonment. Judge Marcello Kopkow calls the murder spree, quote, perhaps the most inhumane and vicious crime I have handled out of the thousands of cases I have seen, end quote. Issuing five life sentences without the possibility of parole, including 48 years for unlawful termination of Shanann's pregnancy and 36 years for disposing of the bodies of his family. December 3rd, 2018, Chris is transferred to a Wisconsin correctional facility. Due to safety concerns, he's moved from Colorado to Dodge Correctional Facility in Wappen, Wisconsin. February 18, 2019, Chris confesses to killing his daughters in a detailed explanation. In a five-hour interview from prison, Chris recounts the horrible details of his young daughter's final moments and confesses to killing them and disposing their bodies. Quote, this was like the epitome of being angry, the epitome of showing a rage, the epitome of losing your mind, he said. Watts said he regrets what he did. He keeps photos of Shanann, Bella, and Celeste in his cell and, quote, talks to them every morning and every night, end quote, he told investigators. He has one of Celeste's books in his cell. He said he did not want to fight charges because he did not want to extend the process or make his and Shanann's families wade through the court process. Quote, I didn't want them to go through this for two to four years, he said. I didn't want my attorneys to lie for me for two to four years. November 18th, 2019, Chris is ordered to pay Shanann's parents $6 million. Um, an amount that not only will they surely never receive from Chris, but also totally insignificant in the uh, balance of what occurred. So that really concludes the story of Chris Watts and the Watts family murder. A gruesome story, one that I think really resonates with all of us because you can identify with the deceased, right? Some of us are parents, husbands, wives, others are sons and daughters. And for someone that is supposed to take care of his family and be there for them unconditionally, to do what he did is, obviously without even having to say it, just truly horrible. And the only thing I'm glad about is the fact that justice has been um, served and will continue to be served for the entirety of Chris's life. And I hope that every single day, for the rest of his life, he has to relive the atrocities of the things he's done. Well, I hope you enjoyed the first case of true crime here on Sleep and Relax ASMR. If you have any other cases in particular you'd like me to discuss, you can email me at hello at sleepandrelaxasmr.com. And of course, you can reach out if you just have questions, comments, suggestions, tips, 
advice, whatever the case may be. Well, that's all for this episode. Thanks as always for listening and take care.